if I had had a way to channel all those hormones, I was already masturbating, but with my hand, but if I'd been given a tool and the permission Mm -hmm. to say, okay, it's okay that you masturbate. It's something that it's normal. It's something all people do. Maybe you do it in your bedroom. Like don't do it at the dinner table. Right. A safe space for it. Yeah. And here's a vibrator for you to explore your body. I feel now the relationship I have with my body from masturbating is so strong and I understand my body so well. And there's such a deep connection. And if I'd been able to start establishing that as a teenage girl, I am pretty sure I would have held off on having sexual intercourse for a while. I would have been more focused on my body, like knowing how to please me instead of pleasing someone else. The message had been shifted. So I think that's an important piece of the sex ed conversation. Okay. Wow. Okay. It's going to be really emotional. There is no loss for being honest. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. The responsibility we feel towards the world, like questioning, challenging, say something. Raw and vulnerable and open conversation. That was the best part. I'm scared of friendship. Taking a breath. Just talk. Shame and guilt. Vulnerabilities. That was about, <laughs> that was about the best thing. What does it really mean to be friends? We trust the real work that we do is overcoming our insecurities every day and learning how to love more. It has examples of the change we want to see in the world. Just taking a breath. So if we just take a breath. Well, my face is on fire from the doctors. <laughs> to have healthier relationships with women, they need healthier relationships with other men. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. So I'm in an open relationship with my husband, and my husband and I sold our house 10 months ago. We have twins that are four years old, we travel around the world, and this is my boyfriend. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to Amory Podcast. One of the things that you've probably heard me say over the course of this podcast is that all relationships are learning vehicles. You've also probably heard me say that the learning path of polyamory is pretty steep. And one of the things that we have to deal with, all of us at different moments, are the feelings of jealousy. And that's why I'm so excited to share that we've newly released our online program called Transforming Jealousy. This is a lot of our learnings all packed into dozens of unique audios that you'll only hear in that course, as well as writings, some journal things, um, some of our fellow Amory community members sharing their perspectives and learnings on jealousy. And it's also continuing to grow as we continue to learn and add more. We would love for you to check it out. You can take a look at what we've included in there in the program by clicking on the link of our Instagram bio or going to amorypodcast.com. And you can take a look at um, that program, Transforming Jealousy, as well as the accompanying webinars. Now there are webinars that we'll do uh, between one and three a week, and those will be included for free when you purchase the online program, Transforming Jealousy. There are also standalone webinars if you're kind of like, well, I need a little tweak here with processing my fears and, oh, I really want to understand why it's so important for me to become aware of my own needs and wants in the relationship so that I can move through my jealousy quicker. All of those and more will be available as webinars and included in the 
the program Transforming Jealousy. If you can't tell, I'm super excited. I personally poured a lot of my own learnings into there and I'm so happy to share with you. I hope that it supports you on your learning curve of practicing polyamory or exploring open relationships. Also remember that we do offer one-on-one coaching, so please reach out to us um, via direct message on Instagram if you'd like to set up a coaching program. Otherwise, we're happy to share learnings for free in this podcast, so we hope that you enjoy, and thank you so much for spending a little time with us. Welcome back to Emory Podcast. Today is a special episode where Kyle and myself will be leading and talking to Sharon Pfeiffer when we're in Seattle right now on my journey home, which has been quite a journey already. First meeting Kirby in San Francisco, and now I'm here to rise up with the good people of Seattle and get my my key to the city, the Emerald <laughs> City. We've been talking on Instagram, right? And and yeah. we connected there through Amory, and you've been such a huge supporter. We are incredibly appreciative of, but I've also been a huge fan of you, and and you've been an incredible mentor and guide and all things sex education and positivity and so many things in between that we'll talk about. But I wanted to give people some context, you're welcome, of our time together here yesterday. <laughs> we got to hang out and, and walk around Seattle. Obviously, so many things are closed down and there's a, not a whole lot going on in these current times, but we were able to walk to a beach. And since all the beaches are closed right now, you suggested that we go to the naked beach, the nude beach. Yeah, Denny Blaine. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, well, that will never catch us now. <laughs> to give people an idea of our experience, you know, we obviously have just met, but to have the comfortability with each other and to be able to go to this nude beach where it was such a trip for me, just seeing everybody, of course, smoking weed, hanging out, everyone's just being very body sex positive very comfortable, which, you know, is still a practice of mine to really get into those places and be comfortable. But yeah, everybody was owning it and there on a sunny, nice day. And we were able to both get naked and as humans just jump in the water and enjoy the water and enjoy the the beautiful day. And you told me more about your life, which I think is an incredible wealth of knowledge about around polyamory, but also about your own journey for self-love. So yeah, I want to maybe start with with you and telling us, <laughs> yeah, who you are as a human, as a person, as a creative artist, but also as a polyamory practitioner and, and member of the community. Sounds good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm originally, I grew up in Philadelphia, Philadelphia area, and I am an art school dropout <laughs> who turned into a journalist by complete accident and I started working at the Philadelphia Weekly back in the mid 90s when people were using um, personal ads, like they had to handwrite personal ads and send them into the paper. And I was managing a 10 page section of the paper with all these about 500 lonely hearts. And I was making love connections left and right and hosting singles events for everybody from heterosexual couples to queer couples to the anything goes section. So (laughs) (laughs) starting at a very young age, I was hanging out in dungeons and swingers clubs and doling out dating advice because, you know, I was in my mid twenties and clearly knew so much about dating and had such successful track records. Um, But, but you, you weren't always comfortable being in those places, right? No. So, or it didn't always feel welcome and it wasn't ridden with guilt and shame, which I think is 
what you were talking about and yeah. I resonate so much with and I'm sure a lot of people resonate with is you know being guilted and feeling shameful about sex your yes. body orgasms masturbation kinks all these things are have so much negativity in them and we're we're programmed unfortunately by whether it be religion or our parents lacking the knowledge um, which is is unfortunately passed down society at large and all of those things all those factors but yeah tell us more about you and and or tell me more about you and how that started for you and, and what your experience was Okay, so growing up, I did not grow up in a sex positive house at all. In fact, there was no conversation around sex at all. I never got a conversation about getting my period, which conveniently happened at my 11th birthday party at a gymnastics center in head to toe white gymnastics wear. It was a shock and I didn't know what to do. And fast forward, I lost my virginity when I was 15 to a lacrosse player that I had a huge crush on who who under the guise of tutoring me in French came over and <laughs> we had sex. And fast forward, I don't get my period. And I'm on the phone disclosing this to a girlfriend and I'm panic stricken and I'm fearful and because I'm, I'm convinced I'm pregnant at 15. And my mother overhears this phone conversation, AKA eavesdropping. Right. And I get off the phone and I go downstairs and my parents are there and they're shouting at me, what a slut I am, what a whore I am, how I must've been raped. And then I got grounded. And I look back at my childhood or my teen years and I look at that would have been a pivotal teaching moment for them to give me some sex education or to say, listen, if you're going to have sex, here are the resources you need. Are you on birth control? Like all of those questions that teens or whoever, you know, when you're beginning starting to have sex should be armed with that information to be able to make responsible decisions and do it safely. Where there was no talk about STIs. There was literally nothing. It was completely shut down. And I, I felt like damaged goods. Like I felt like no one was going to date me. The rumors went around school, like I was a big slut. So there was just, it, it came from everywhere. And so I was left with this very negative messaging around sex. Meanwhile, I had been masturbating my whole life. Like I remember being five or six sitting on my parents' bathroom floor with my mom's uh, back massager, sitting there and it feeling so good and locking the doors and getting, you know, I didn't get in trouble for that. I did get in trouble for some shower head action at a young <laughs> age, but I knew it felt good. Right. And so I would sit in bed. On, Which is on, intuitive, right? Yes. We, we know our bodies at a very young age and we intuitively know what pleasure feels like, but somehow that seems to be polluted and become a negative thing or a scary thing. And especially for girls. Right. And so I would listen to Dr. Ruth Westheimer on my Walkman under the pillow at night. And so I was learning about sexuality at a young age and hearing this positive messaging from somebody else, feeling good in exploring myself, but then getting this, you know, in the people who were closest to me telling me it was not okay. And so there was a lot of conflicting information and input. And how did you decide which was the right in information and what was the wrong or what, what was the the one that you wanted to take <laughs> so I hit it like I kept doing it but I hit it and then my mother passed away when I was 17 there was this immediate I mean obviously it's terrible and awful and that's a whole other story of how that impacted my life but there was a sense of freedom when it came to my sexuality once I realized there wasn't a person in my immediate family judging me like that so closely and so she died and two weeks later I went out and bought my first vibrator wow and 
it was really, really powerful for me to have that moment because at the time I had a boyfriend, we were having really mediocre sex. If that, I was not satisfied. Like I would have sex with my partner and then I would go home and masturbate. And I'm like, all right, well, and I also didn't have the language to communicate what I wanted, you know, all that stuff at that age, but I knew how to pleasure myself. So I got this vibrator and it was one of the most pivotal moments because I realized I could take pleasure into my own hands and control my pleasure. And I didn't need another person to pleasure me. And I realized it was safe. Like I wasn't going to get STIs. I wasn't going to get a pregnant. It was totally up to me. And so I really kind of doubled down on exploring my own pleasure and that relationship with my body and what felt good instead of being with a partner. And, you know, at that point, as a teenage girl, all the messaging I had ever gotten was pleasing your man. It was all about his orgasm and making him feel good. It was never any conversation about women feeling good and your pleasure. It was always an afterthought. It really, like, I kind of at that time was like, if nobody else is going to make me come, I'm going to make myself come. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there's kind of two levels, right, of pleasure. If you want to simplify it and say, there's pleasuring yourself, and then there's knowing what you like and communicating that to your your partner or partners for yeah, us polyamorous for us people. Poly people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So how did you learn from knowing what you like and, and doing it yourself through masturbation? How did you then communicate to your partners? And when did that start happening? And how did you do that? That was probably a few years later. So around that time, so this is like I'm around 17. So let's fast forward a couple of years and I get involved with um, a woman. And so that was my first time having female partner sex. Mm -hmm. And that opened up a whole floodgate of like, oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> women seem to know their way around my anatomy a little better than right. <laughs> male identifying people do. And so there was a lot of experimentation there. And then I was able to take that on to male partners and communicate like, yes, you know what? Penetration's great, but there's also this little magical button called the clit <laughs> and it needs attention, or at least it does for me. Not all women need both stimulation, but a lot, like most do. Right. And so I was able to have these experiences and go, yeah, that feels good. I'm going to tell this partner or I'm going to like direct them or say less of this and more of that. At the time, I was also with some male partners that were very open-minded and curious about things. So like partners who wanted to be pegged and who were into anal play and things that I hadn't really explored very much. And I was just like, I've kind of always been like, all right, I'm willing to try it. If it's consensual and where it's safe and there's like all the lube in the world, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm willing to try a lot of things. And if I don't like it, you, I mean, at any point I can say no and let's stop or you just don't do that again. Or there might be like some element that you like of it right. and you take that and it could translate into another thing so it's kind of like taking the good part right and experimentation i would imagine is the only way that you find what you like or you stumble your way into something that you didn't know that you liked yeah absolutely and i think just having i don't know one of the beautiful things jumping ahead to being poly yep. is having multiple partners who are interested in so many different things where i I may want to explore like 22 different things. Right. <laughs> Being over ambitious, but <laughs> I wouldn't expect one person to do all that. But so it's like I have different people who have different interests and, you know, things that they're good at and things that they're interested in. And so it's kind of like meeting each person where they're at and exploring. So, for example, 
like right now I have one partner who is into kink. And so that's like, that's my kinky partner who we explore the kinky things with and they're really good at it. And then there are other partners where they're just like very gentle, kind, giving like leisurely spend the whole Saturday afternoon in bed lovers. (laughs) And there's a place for that too. And then there's like the passionate. And so it's like, everybody's a little bit different in what, you know, and it's fascinating, like how my body reacts like it's it's just a different interaction with every person because it's you know everybody has different body parts and there's different connections and it's just it's fascinating to me to explore within all these different dynamics right and we talked a little bit about this yesterday the magic question which is what is your polyamory it's <laughs> such a it's such a wide ranging or should be way of practice where we all are finding what works for us the structures that work and i feel like you've had more experienced than most, and even just in looking at me, myself, and, and doing this now for two years, and then our community, which I know there's a lot of people that are new to polyamory, and you have more experience. So how do you think about, yeah, when you when you think about how you practice polyamory now, even versus when you started? I mean, when I started, I just didn't know anything. <laughs> you know, I was, we all have to start somewhere, right? And we all right. stumble and we all make mistakes. And I think we all try to be well-intentioned and not cause harm to others. But inadvertently, sometimes we do and we can own it and learn from it and move on. And I think in the beginning, like I wasn't, you know, it's a whole wide world out there. And I wasn't super clear on what I wanted because I didn't know what those experiences would be like. And so it was a lot of like try before you buy kind of dynamics right. where, I tried it on and I'm like, okay, this doesn't work for me. Like we were talking about yesterday, like hierarchies, like I would end up dating some people and immediately they'd be like, okay, let's DTR. Let's define the relationship. I want you to be my primary. Let's think about, let's look at this with the, you know, idea of let's, we're going to get a house in like two years. And it was just all this like future planning. And I'm kind of a more fly by the seat of your pants kind of gal, where it's kind of I'll plan when I need to plan, but kind of like, let's see how life unfolds. <laughs> right. Because you just don't know, you you end up on these beautiful paths if you don't have a map a lot of times, as we did yesterday, um, <laughs> getting lost all over the city. And so I would try things on and I was in, in the beginning, like a don't ask, don't tell relationship. And that felt really horrible to me because I was doing things ethically on my side. And I know ethically is a very loaded word right now um, in poly communities because there's a lot of like, well, I think it's a societal thing. Yeah. What, what is ethical? What is ethical? <laughs> and are you better than everybody else if you're ethical? So let's just say consensual. Like I was being honest with people, like I'm a communicator. And so I'm very clear with people about my intentions and yes, they may change. And, but if you, you can communicate at every step, you're keeping people on the same page or at least in the loop, and then they can make their decisions based off that information. So informed consent's always really important to me. So being in a don't ask, don't tell type situation, I felt like a side piece, to be honest with you. And I'm like, I didn't get into polyamory to feel like somebody's side piece. So I did that. I've been with several couples and that's always been an interesting dynamic too, because you feel like you're like this novelty unicorn type person. And obviously swinging and polyamory are two very different things, but the line can get fuzzy in some places. So I had some experiences like that where I'm like, okay, this was a nice one night stand, but that's not also really what I'm here for. You know, there's a time and place and sometimes I'm up for that. But for me, it's, I want to have meaningful ongoing connections with people, whatever that looks like. Right. And that can be from casual lovers that I might see like once a year, like 
when the stars align and we're in the same place or to people that I see every week. And so for me now that it's evolved and I've learned a lot of things, mostly by making a lot of mistakes, is like I want everything to be rooted from a place of love and care. Anybody who's involved in my life and I get involved with, it's because I love them and I care about them and I want them in my world in whatever capacity. And so I'm more intentional with and clear, like when I meet somebody, it's like, are we on the same, like, are we, are we meeting each other in the same place? Because, and if we're not, like we were talking yesterday, like I've dated some people who are monogamous, which is a tricky situation, but it can work if everybody is clear. And so a lot of those things have been kind of short, short term shelf life, like somebody's going to be around for four months or whatnot. And it's worked. Like I've had some really beautiful, beautiful, loving experiences and those people are still in my world, mm-hmm. um, even if they've gone on and they're married and monogamous and doing their own thing. So I think as long as there's an understanding and there's communication, which this all comes back to every 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 corner in polyamory comes back to communication, right? Like just being clear um, and just being good to people that you can have this, you can carve out literally whatever dynamic you want with each person. And you can say, I want you in my life for a specific role play and we just get together and do that right and that's a relationship and that's a trust and that's you can love and care about that person or you can have somebody and it's like i want involvement in my life every single day and so there's just this complete spectrum of what this can look like and i think breaking down what it's supposed to look like like kick kick that script to the curb and write your own damn play like right one thing that just came to my mind is you know, we all we all make mistakes in polyamory on that journey. And can you think of any examples of a mis- or mistakes that you made, and how you kind of worked through those, and what that took? And you know, whether it was working with your partner, or you know, even changing the partnership or evolving. Is there anything that comes to mind for you and in, in those and kind of the learning the learning journey, which is a constant? Yeah, I sure can. <laughs> <laughs> So I was in a triad for a year, like maybe two years ago, a little over two years ago. And it was with a couple who was married and they had just opened up their marriage. And I was, I have a habit of taking on a lot of firsts. What do we call that? (laughs) A sex sherpaing people. (laughs) And so whether it's being somebody's like first same sex experience or their first kink experience or their first poly experience, I'm like, okay, I'm here to save the day and show you the way, like, come on along for the ride. (laughs) And so, and I think that falls into like, I'm a sex educator and writer. Like, I just want to help everybody. I want everybody to be happy and I want everyone to experience pleasure. So it really comes from a good place. I see that as really an important (laughs) role of yours and like responsibility so Thanks. you're you're well equipped and I think the world needs you the world Thanks. needs you there I don't necessarily need to take it all on <laughs> no for your own for yeah. your own mental health yeah. yeah and so I started dating the husband and it was his first experience and he was an excellent communicator but it went real fast. And sometimes I find when people are brand new to polyamory, it's like it goes from like zero to 60 miles per hour out of the gate. And I'm kind of a very cautious, like I can fall in love really easily, but I'm also a realist and cautious. And like, I want to build a foundation. Like I want to, you know, I want to build something. Um, I want people to be around in my life for a long time yeah, or as long as they want to be. And so we went we got in this relationship and it was like real passionate hot and heavy talking about the future he like a couple months in 
he was like, I want to like, include you in my will. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. Like, okay. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, well, number one, I don't want you to die, but <laughs> let's calm down, like pump the brakes. And so we explored a lot of things and it was great. My fatal error was <laughs> that I got involved with his wife and it turned into, and again, I was her first poly experience, first same sex experience, first kink. So I was taking on the the oh. trifecta of, <laughs> of first. And it was lovely for a little while. Like it was lovely and we had amazing threesomes and I was, you know, dating them both separately and together and it was beautiful, but we didn't do the groundwork mm. and we didn't, I think we just got caught up in this, like, oh, this is great and this is lovely and the sex is great and we all had fun. And then it became not fun because I did not set my boundaries well. I think I was trying to like... I don't know what I was doing, but I was kind of not getting what I needed or wanted. Um, and they were kind of dictating, like, it was very even like, oh, if she gets a night with you. I get a night with you. Oh, you get this time with her. And it was like tit for tat, almost keeping score mm. like, a, you know, and that's just not who I am in Polly. Like, there's nothing I'm not a fan of the standing date. Like, I can't I, I don't want anybody locking down my consistent Saturday night. And I know sometimes that's necessary for scheduling and planning and whatnot, depending upon people's needs and lives. But my life is pretty flexible. And it's so if someone is going into a relationship and they're experienced in poly, with polyamory, but they're dating someone that's new, what is yeah. that groundwork that you think is really important for you know, going into the relationship and kind of guiding, you know, mm-hmm. and sherping this new person. And and then I know there's a lot of layers, right? It could yeah. be their first same sex. It could be their first polyamorous. It could be their first kink. But how do you, yeah, think about the groundwork for, for that person and giving that advice to someone that's getting into a relationship with someone that's new to polyamory or trying it? I think take it slow, like take it slower than you think you need to and just pause and then reflect and communicate it always goes back to communication but um like we just went so fast and there was checking in but i remember you know dating somebody several years ago and we had a thing where it's like once a week we sat down and we checked in with each other even if things were really good mm-hmm. and it was just like hey how are you doing how are you feeling are you you know are your wants and needs being met is there anything you want and it was just like this very simple thing but it created um like a reliable space where we knew when we met up, you know, once a week, we would have this conversation. It didn't have to be a big deal. I think a lot of people just sit on things until it's a big deal. And then it's a big deal. And so if it's an ongoing thing, you know, okay, I kind of have a rule where if something's bothering me, whether it's jealousy or feelings come up, I used to be the type of person who'd be like, I need to resolve this right this minute. Like I need to talk to this person. We got to talk it out right now. I need, and that was all about me needing instant gratification and closure instead of sitting with uncomfortable feelings and trying to process it on my own because almost always it's my shit that needs to get worked out, you know, and I need to do that on my own and my partners, it's not their problem. <laughs> right. So yeah, like sitting with things for like 24 to 48 hours before you make it a thing or bring it up has been a really good rule of thumb for me. It's just like, calm down. And I wish I had done that in that relationship. And so basically that relationship crashed and burned and I'm not proud of it. And it like a ball of flames, like he, we were trying to communicate. We were not communicating well. He had a bit of a temper. I do not communicate well when people are angry and from a place of anger, like I need I need calm communication. I don't, I'm not a fighter, screamer, drama person at all. I don't, Right. that's not my style. And I just like, at the moment I was like, done. Like it was like game over. I was like, I'm not signed up for this level of drama. 
And so we broke, we, we literally broke up on the spot, never spoke again. And I had no closure with his wife because mm. they were obviously, you know, I don't want to say a package deal, but um, cause it was different relationships, but still right. it was like, we both were at the end. Cause I had never dealt with that before. Like we were messaging and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. And I don't know if I can date you individually at this point. And she didn't. And we were like, let's talk about this. And then we never did. And so there's no closure, which is a little bit maddening for people you care about. So yeah, that's always hard for me. And I know life can't get wrapped up like in a little box with a little bow all the time, but still it's just when you care about people, you want to treat them well. And so I feel like that whole ending was not good. Right. When you hit hard times and polyamory, I mean, have you ever felt like it was polyamory's fault or have you always felt that it was the situation or a breakdown in communication or something to that effect? I mean, have you ever lost, uh, you know, lost your, have you ever wanted to, I guess, not be polyamorous or taken time out of it because of it wasn't what you thought was working for you? Not recently. Like I, I really feel that this is right for me and this is how I love. Like I, I can't imagine myself just being in a relationship with just one human being or limited to that. I mean, I could be in a relationship with one human being, but I like the option to be in relationships with whoever I want to be. So just having that space. So I've never blamed it on polyamory. I've blamed it on, um, it's usually myself <laughs> you know, or something that I'm bringing to the table or a communication breakdown, or there's just been some dynamics where it could be the other person too, like what they're bringing to the table. Um, I've run into some toxic, I guess, toxic dynamics that are beyond my, you know, like really like other people's relationships where they're, you know, having a breakdown on their end and then it ripples to this. And again, it comes down for me a lot of like getting really clear on your boundaries. Like, do I want somebody else's other partner having veto power over this relationship? That doesn't fly for me. Like I, there were times in the past where I was like, eh, let's give it a try. And then when it happens and they're like, I have to break up with you because my other partner said so. It feels really terrible. And you feel yeah. like you've just been discarded as a human being. So I try to frame my relationships so that I'm not, that's not going to happen. And that's just, we all decide what we want, you know, and that can be defined. Hey, it's Kyle. I wanted to take 60 seconds to tell you more about Amory's mission. One year ago, we started Amory with the intention to bring more love into the world. And now with listeners in 47 countries, I think we're doing just that, but we want to do more. And we really appreciate your support in, in getting to that goal that we have which is really to expand and share and normalize polyamory, but also improve relationships, however they are in the world. So we're now in the process of creating a documentary. We're writing books. We're active on Instagram, supporting people. Uh, we're creating content on Patreon. There's so many ways that we want to continue to grow and connect with people and build this community. And we'd love your support and for you to be a part of that community and the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com backslash Emory podcast and support us there at any level that works for you. We really appreciate you. Now back to the episode. Right. And I feel like something that I noticed about you is that you've built this really strong community around you. And it's not just in Seattle where you live, but it's really across your, your whole mm -hmm. life. And it didn't happen overnight, right? I mean, you've 
had to do a lot of work in kind of curating and learning about yourself and, and building a community that supports you. And I think there's a lot of people that live in different parts of the U.S. where there aren't a lot of poly people. They don't live in a major city or they don't live in a progressive, let's say, area. And so how did you build what you have, which is this really strong, supporting, loving, open community for yourself? It took a lot of work because after my mom died, I had a really hard time trusting anybody. And I had a really, really hard time with love, period. So it's kind of funny that I went from this very broken place of having walls up so high and not letting anybody in because I was terrified. I'm like, you can love anybody and they could leave you like in a heartbeat. And I was like carrying this around, like don't love anybody because they're going to die or leave and you're going to be back at this horrible, empty, void place. So it's funny to go to polyamory where it's like, all right, I'm setting myself up for all the heartbreaks, you know, (laughs) (laughs) potentially. And so I was sat with that and I realized there was definitely a moment where I'm like, okay, are you going to choose love in this world or are you going to choose fear? Because you're operating from Mm. a place of fear and it's not serving you well and you're missing out on all these things. And I would like, I kept going back. I'm like, well, even though I had a very difficult relationship with my mother, like there was love in my life, you know, and like, I want love. Like, I just want an abundance of love. I don't want to be operating from this place of just, I was shut off. And so I did a lot of therapy and I realized people are going to leave you no matter what, (laughs) you know, people can leave you at any time. They don't have to die. They can just say, screw it. Like I'm out like, or, you know, friendships change or, you know, there's a million reasons why people can leave. And that's not a good enough reason not to love. And at that point, I was rebuilding friendships and very selectively letting people in. And one thing that was really important to me was letting people into my world who showed up for me um, and who showed up, you know, when things got tough. And by building those communities where I was like, all right, like things can happen. You can have major things happen in your life, but you have the safety net of people who are going to show up for you no matter what. And so it started with building friendships. And I have friendships right now that I've had for like 25, 30 years. And I could call them right now. And if I needed them, they'd be on a plane right now. And so I started with that, with like kind of respecting myself and surrounding myself with people who I thought who were like just good hearted, loving people who were engaged in life and just would show up. Like that's what I needed. And in turn, I started showing up for them. And then it, it cultivates this, you know, we're all in this together connectivity. And then I started translating that into the people that I was romantically involved because I've been in plenty of not great relationships where, you know, people had cheated when I was dating monogamously or people didn't show up. And I would always be like, I wasn't getting what I deserved you know, or what we all deserve, people who love you and show up, like it's pretty basic. And so I've traveled a lot and, you know, thanks to social media, it's like you can cast this really wide web of people. And so I've learned to trust people like you, for example, because people like I'd never met before, but I'm like, yes, I have this kinship with them. And we like, I care about you. And likewise. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so it's opening up to those possibilities and you find these really beautiful connections. Right. Um, And sometimes I may never meet these people, but also I have, like I've been in Ecuador and somebody from Twitter has been there and then we meet and hang out and it's amazing. Right. And so I think it's just being open to the possibilities. You have to trust the universe a little bit and just keep guiding yourself with love. Like it's, that's what I choose. Those are the experiences. And like the more I have them, the more, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's, it's. I was just thinking about living situations. You know, I think yeah. the way that I've been thinking about it now, and I'm someone that's been 
single and living alone in the past. And I thought that that was what I needed and that's what I wanted. And maybe it even was for a period of time, right? And I think now I, I find it like I, you know, living with Megan and Marty and the kids, I now feel like I, I crave that. I crave kind of the the tribe, the community living situation that really brings all this all this love in my space that I'm living. So how do you think about living space and having partners, you know, where they live in different places or living together? How have you kind of navigated that over the years and what, what do you prefer? So right now I live by myself and uh, with my dog, which I'm really happy about, (laughs) and especially during COVID because I mean, self-isolating has been really difficult, but I also right now, I'm like, there is nobody in my world I want to be around 247. Right. So for right now that works, but in pre-COVID poly times, (laughs) I really, I like living by myself right now. I have lived with partners over the years. I lived with somebody for 11 years. And when that relationship ended about five years ago, there was definitely this, like, I was really enjoying being by myself. I I was going to say, it's like, I don't know what, but it was just nice to have my own space and my own time and everything on my own terms. And as somebody, it's, I, right now, I pretty much identify as solo poly for now. And again, like, I'm not a huge fan of labels and I recognize things can ebb and flow and change. I'm not opposed to living with a partner. Mm -hmm. I don't rule anything out. Like I don't have like, yeah. that would never happen. Like I'm, I'm 47 and I've never been married cause it was never important to me, but I've always taken that if it was really super duper important to somebody else. Sure. I would consider it. Sure. So I just, I keep all the options open for conversation. That's an awesome part of you, I think. <laughs> and it's really, yeah, I think it's really unique, especially with all the experience you've had to still remain so open and not, you know, so opinion opinionated right which many people can become with more experience but I find you have this openness that you've maintained that's really yeah it's really unique and and it shows it says a lot about you and your character thank you welcome but I look at like every every person we meet is a different human being and it's we have to approach everything as a different unique relationship and so I mean when I've dated monogamously I think a lot of the mindset is I was in this past relationship. Here's what worked. Here's what it didn't. And it gets compared. Like the relationships get compared. And I I think comparison is not a useful tool for most things. (laughs) It's just, it doesn't create good things when you're comparing yourself to other people or comparing relationships. Like it's just, I've been in other relationships where people have been like, well, in my past relationship, it was like this and it did this and this and this. And that's great that you have that experience, but this is a whole different thing. And I want everything to be built from the ground up. Yeah, it's great that everybody has different experiences, um, things that work for them and didn't, and we all learn from every experience, but I look at everything like we're building our own special thing. Right, and as I was telling you yesterday, you know, I'm on this journey now of exploring my sexuality and mm-hmm. almost you know, reclaiming what that means as a, as a straight man. How can I be sexual in the world and safe? And I think understanding you know, what the dynamics, the power dynamics that we that we all exist within and how I can, but I can also meet my needs and explore what that means. And I think I always, for me personally, you know, I've always suppressed this whole interest and desire for BDSM. Mm-hmm. And then that was something that I really was have only tapped into in the last few years. And I shared with you my whole experience of when I was in New Orleans and I met a dominatrix and mm-hmm. I was able to explore something very, very openly and safely and she was someone that that I trusted and you know she was incredible for me in that way but I think you know I I'm almost like asking you of for me it's like what do you 
what do you recommend in that exploration that what's the way to go about it safely? How do you, you know, how do you relate to that? And in, in looking back at your own exploration of your, yeah, whether it's BDSM, which we have in mm-hmm. common interests, yeah. you know, there, or even, you know, with being bisexual and that whole journey as well. So how to explore it safely or? Yeah, just how, yeah. even uh, how you thought about it, yeah. exploring it and how you, yeah, how, how that journey has been for you. So the bisexuality part has kind of been just part of me for a long time since I was a teenager, late teens. And so that kind of just happened naturally. And when did you know you were bisexual? I remember being in elementary school and having a sleepover. I did not tell you this yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Saved it. I know. Saved something. Um, and I remember having a sleepover and being with a friend and we were exploring each other's anatomy. And it was very simple. But again, it felt like it was a shameful thing, like something we weren't supposed to do. Mm. But I remember playing with like her boobs and like touching her boobs and she was touching mine. And it was very like basic and just like, what is this? What is that? And this looks like, and I remember getting really turned on by it, like especially by boobs. I was like, oh yeah, this is, <laughs> I'm into this. <laughs> even, even though it was just like very childlike, mm. checking things out. And then I went to college and there was this woman there and she's just beautiful and open and free. Also. And I was just coming off like my mom dying and she was very nurturing and she had a single dorm and I had a double dorm. And like most nights I ended up sleeping in her room with her. And right. it was just, that was really what sealed the deal for me. I'm like, this is nice. Like <laughs> this is nurturing and loving. And it wasn't like other college freshman boys who had other things on their mind (laughs) and I was really okay at that point I was like yeah I like women like I'm attracted to women and so from there I went from dating women and simultaneously dating men and I didn't see anything wrong with it like I didn't the beauty of like not having knowledge was like there were no labels and so I wasn't you were naturally polyamorous without knowing the term which I think is really cool yeah yeah but I also think it's cool that polyamory has gone more mainstream in the past couple years you know with um films and you know tv series and books like it's out there and so you see that as a positive thing i mean even in how it's represented or that there's education yeah what what are are the trends that you see there when the wonder woman movie came out that was like a big deal because that was polyamory on the big screen in um a context that everybody could relate to it's like wonder woman who doesn't you know and so that professor marston story i was like yeah like that's a good representation of polyamory for the most part and then you're seeing you know poly characters in like steven universe which is like a great cartoon for kids like with lgbtq representation unicorn land which is a web series came out i want to say around that time a couple of years ago three years ago maybe i don't know but it's a um series of short snippets like eight minute episodes of this character annie who's so delightfully flawed you're just like yes you're not perfect. You're amazing. You're bumbling your way through this like we all do, <laughs> figuring out polyamory after a divorce. And so that was really realistic. And so seeing these representations, because there aren't a lot of resources, there are books, which are great, but seeing it, you know, a book is, I love reading, but it's, you're reading a book, you're reading text, you're not seeing actual interactions and this and playing out in real life. And I just think right. seeing that makes people feel like, oh yeah, like I'm not weird or alone. Like this is normal. Right. Yeah. Megan always talks about that. She talks about the exposure is it it creates an experience, which is really, really powerful in shifting our own behavior. Yeah. Our own awareness. And I think for me as a, you know, heteronormative white male who's dealt with, you know, Marty and I have talked a lot about 
homophobia and the communities that we grew up in among other other things you know being able to i even felt a shift for myself in how my instagram feed changed which a lot of people might not see the the value of that but it's it's what i'm exposed to so if i'm seeing thruples and triads and more queer relationships in my feed as i entered this poly community and all the different ways that it's structured and the dynamics of it it helped me feel more open to explore it made it seem more normal and acceptable and i felt less shameful and i think that's that was a huge impact on me in opening my mind and also helping me to express and and share these things and and not feel the the negative stuff of shame and guilt and feeling weird which as we know is just cool anyway (laughs) (laughs) hardly (laughs) yeah but definitely instagram has been a huge tool in all of this and just it's you know i think we all have a little bit of voyeuristic tendencies anyway. Like we want to see, you know, what's going on behind their closed doors, but bringing that out, like we're able to see, I mean, I'm lucky to live in Seattle where it's, there's a huge poly community here. I feel very supported. There are events ditto for the kink community and whatnot, but I get, there are people all over the world who are in small towns or communities or in just even in dynamics where they're not safe to explore this or there are no resources. Just having that representation you're right. Like it, it, it makes me feel like I'm part of something. I might not know these people personally, but I feel like we're all kind of doing the same thing in some capacity. Um, and I can imagine that provides comfort for a lot of people and also Absolutely. just helps navigate the way of like, this is how they're doing it. And that's one way. So right. yeah, cause there is no, you know, right or wrong way to do that. <laughs> no, you know, there was something you were talking about yesterday that was really interesting as well about educating teenagers about sex and something that you do with some of your friends and then you've gotten introduced to other people. I I found that fascinating because one of the bigger questions I have is how do we educate the next generation about sex? And we have a lot of people that have young kids and, Mm -hmm. you know, when do you have those conversations is obviously a big question. But yeah, how do you how do you think about that and and, and sharing also the the work that you've done, Mm -hmm. which I think is incredible and I value it so much. Thanks. The state of sex education in America is really dismal. Like most states don't even require it. It's not going to happen effectively in the classrooms the way it's set up. And a lot of parents aren't set up to do it either. Exactly. So it's like, where does this happen? Where do we start? I know. Like, like, and and, then a lot of people, you know, a lot of kids are learning from porn and that's not a realistic expectation either. And then I get like why people grow up thinking sex should look like this because they're learning from porn. And trust me, I love porn all day long, but I also recognize that it's a performance and it's entertainment. Yep. It's not a teaching tool. Not unless it's Erica Lust. Right, (laughs) yes, if it's Erica Lust, she's doing great, great representation. Yeah, yeah, Erica. And so, and I get like a lot of parents just, it's awkward to have those conversations. Like, I get it, but you kind of have to do it. And I look back at my upbringing and I keep saying this and I'm not a parent, so I have to, put that out there. But I think if I had had a vibrator as a teenage girl, maybe around the time when I got my period or so, like when my hormones started acting up and I'm getting all crazy and you know, like, I just want to make out with everybody. (laughs) If I had had a way to channel all those hormones, I was already masturbating, but with my hand, but if I'd been given a tool and the permission Mm -hmm. to say, okay, you know what, it's okay that you masturbate. It's something that it's normal. It's something all people do. Maybe you do it in your bedroom. Like don't do it at the dinner table. Right, a safe space for it. Yeah, 
and here's a vibrator for you to explore your body. I feel now the relationship I have with my body from masturbating is so strong and I understand my body so well and there's such a deep connection. And if I'd been able to start establishing that as a teenage girl, I am pretty sure I would have held off on having sexual intercourse for a while. And I would have I would have been more focused on my body, like knowing how to please me instead of pleasing someone else. The message had been shifted. So I think that's an important piece of the sex ed conversation. And then also providing resources. Like if you are not equipped to talk to your kid, like there are resources out there. There are websites, there are books. Give kids the tools to learn at an age appropriate time. Like I have friends who are sex educators who have small children, like four or five. They don't hide their sex toys. They keep them in their bedside table. When their kids have found it, they've said, and the kid's like, what's this? And they're like, you know how you have toys? Like, this is mommy's toy. And just puts it away. There's no explanation. It's just normalizing, like, this is my toy. You got your stuff. And I think that's beautiful because kids aren't going to ask, like, what do you do with that toy? Like, it's it's just, right. it's a thing. I think I found my dad's Playboy now that I'm remembering (laughs) it. There was a lot of questions I had, but I'd never asked them. And I'm not sure what he would have said, but yeah, there are, there are opportunities, right? Is what, yeah. is what I'm hearing. And it doesn't matter, moments. right. It doesn't matter the age, but I think as you said, what you don't do is make it wrong and, right. and some kind of shameful thing. And also I think calling anatomy, what it is like identifying body parts as what they are instead of stigmatizing it with like, it's a hoo-ha or it's a whatever, like give kids the tools to know. Like I have friends with small children's and they know this is my vulva. This is my, you know, it's not super detailed, but like at age appropriately, they're telling them what it is, you know? Right. And I think that's so important. It's because it, why are we, why are we covering it up? Like what's, why are we calling it something else? Tell them what it is. And so for me, one of like, one of my favorite things has been a lot of my parent friends have outsourced the difficult talks to me, whether it's been how to like about masturbation or, you know, birth control or safer sex or like STI testing, like things I'm like, all right give it to me because I'm like the trusted cool friend. Like I'm not the mom. So it's probably going to be delivered Yeah. a little bit differently, but I've also created a safe space where, and of course with parental permission where kids can text me like they're teenagers and ask me any question really at any time. And I'll do my best to answer it and guide them however I can and not tell their parents unless I feel that they're in harm's way. Right. And so it's created some really beautiful dialogues with these teens. And some of these conversations have gone on for years Wow. where I've just, you know, <laughs> we've been texting back and forth from everything. And um, one example is I have a friend who I've known her daughter since she was nine and she's 22 now. And so she's one of the women in my world. And so she has asked me so many questions going through college and about sex work. And she came out and it's just, it's been this beautiful safe space and I support her so much. And her mother, who I'm such dear friends with, constantly is like, thank you for creating that space with my daughter. And she she loves you. And it's just, it's so good. And I just, I wish I had had a safe adult go-to Right. Without judgment, because everything was so judgy. Um, yeah. And what is it about an adult, right, that helps us as a young person feel feel safe? You know, there's there's we're abdicating power to adults typically. And yeah, we I think we need you know, it's really important that we and we need that. So I feel like as adults, it's our job to do the work ourselves to get ourselves there. Right. 
but it's also yeah it's important to have that community and i think you're yeah you're doing incredible work there it's uh it's really admirable i just want them to have it better than we had it you know it's it's yeah. just it's motivating it's yeah like motivating. it's like it didn't have to be as hard as it was for me like it right it can be better absolutely yeah, yeah and i think you also see the the power of community right and i think for the the young people that that you know and work with hopefully that they are creating their own communities and connecting with different people and getting resources. And yeah, I think, you know, maybe to, to try and land our, our plane here, I know I could go in so many different directions. And I think this is probably the beginning of so many conversations with you, between you and I, and probably the yeah. rest of our, our crew, but yeah. Is there any way that people can, can find you or connect to you <laughs> or read your, read your stuff if they want more? And they've, I know that yeah. there's been so much information here and you are a wealth of knowledge that I'm okay. trying to do my best to, I'm to just. I'm all over the map. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many categories of, of uh, yeah, of knowledge and uh, it's so appreciated in this space and and thank you for that. Oh, so yeah, is there any way? Thanks for having me. Of course. Just, I just want to share because the more tools we have and the more we talk about this, I think the more it normalizes it. Right. It makes it easier for everybody to figure it out because like we were saying yesterday, there is no roadmap. Like it's not, there's no one way to do this. So it's seeing how other people are doing it is really useful and helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, the easiest way to find me um, is on Instagram at supergoodsex. <laughs> One of the best handles. <laughs> how I got a handle with the word sex in it is beyond me, but I was like, all right, that's what I do. I write Honorary, about sex I and yeah. <laughs> I want people to have good sex. So in our, in our house, that was, that was actually how we just referred to you for a long time. It was like, Hey, super good sex says hi. <laughs> She's, yeah, she's hanging out. She da, says, da, da. yeah, she misses you guys. Oh, that's sweet. <laughs> but yeah, we, we're all, yeah. we're all planning to have some crazy, amazing retreat in the future. And you're going to be a huge part of that. I'm in it. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. I want, I want the big, wonderful poly community. Yeah. yeah. We're working on that. Yeah. So thank you for uh, all your work and your efforts and being here. <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Like yeah, I'm going to, um, the sun came out in Seattle and it's actually legit summer and yeah. And now we're going to go to a rally and we're yeah. Gonna, yeah, we're going to support the good people in Seattle and yeah, yeah, let our voices be heard in this time. No time for complacency right now. No, not at all. Yeah. So thank you everyone for listening. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Amory. We've got so much more that we want to share with you. And our podcast isn't the only platform. We've got written stuff, we've got videos, and we put everything. We've got 50 plus posts now and more and more every day of all of our private journal entries. We're talking our intimate content here. Um, and that's for those of you who wish to go on a deeper journey with us. Um, we think that there's so much more value that we can share with a smaller group of people who are really ready to do the work in your own lives. If that's you, please take a look at our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash Podcast. There's so much more that we'd love to share with you. Um, and if you're not able to contribute on a monthly basis, you can always share us. Share with your friends, do a post. We appreciate anything that you can do to help us get the word out to have more vulnerable conversations in this world. Thanks again.